Well, let me say how delighted we are to see you and to have your presence with us this morning in the Lord's house. We appreciate your, your presence, and may the Lord himself draw alongside and do us good through his precious word. Do remember the evening service. Let me encourage you to come and join with us again this evening. It's good to be in the Lord's house morning and evening, and we encourage you in that regard. And do join us on Wednesday night, if at all possible. We'd like to see uh, more coming, and let us together in the public place seek the Lord's face for His blessing. Now, we're going to read together this morning in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, please. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Reading from verse 1 to verse 21. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness are covetousness. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. But the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the deeds, the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always 
for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. We'll end our reading here at verse 21. May the Lord bless the public reading of His Word to each of our hearts. Let us unite our hearts again before the Lord. Lord, we know that Thou dost, thou dost take pleasure in those that fear Thee, in those that hope in Thy mercy. And how we thank Thee for Thy mercies, which are new every morning. And we can say with full hearts, great is Thy faithfulness. And all we pray that Thou wilt draw alongside as we spend these moments in Thy precious Word. We do acknowledge our need of instruction, of correction, of the guidance, of the admonitions that Thy Word does impart. So we pray that Thou wilt breathe upon us by Thy Spirit and make this time around Thy precious Word to be one of growth in grace and in the knowledge of our triune God. We ask it in the Savior's name. Amen. Ephesians 5 and verse 18, where Paul says to these believers in Ephesus, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. John Owen, the Puritan preacher, he expressed the opinion that the sin of Old Testament times was a failure to acknowledge God the Father. He said the sin of the New Testament era was an unwillingness to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he went on to state that the glaring sin of his own time was man's lack of appreciation of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As it was in John Owen's day, so it is today. The Spirit of God is still the, the neglected member of the Trinity. In the north of Scotland, a minister was instructing his congregation in the Shorter Catechism. He put the question to a lady, how many persons are there in the Godhead? And to the astonishment of all present, she responded, there are two persons in the Godhead, the God the Father and God the Son. The minister put the question a second time, and the answer was exactly the same. Scolding her, the minister said, Woman, don't you know that the correct answer is there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? Sir, replied the lady, I know very well what the catechism says. 
But which am I to believe, the catechism or yourself? We hear you mention the Father, and sometimes, but not often, you make mention of the Son in your preaching. But whoever heard you speak about the Holy Spirit, you have never as much as told us whether there be any Holy Spirit, let alone our need of His grace and power. Paul was not guilty of such an omission. Far from overlooking the place and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the child of God, Paul underlined it. He emphasized it especially in this verse 18. Oh, we must know the power of the Spirit of God, for in ourselves we are nothing. We are just clay vessels. The church collectively cannot progress in the work of the gospel without the infilling of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, said Christ, when He spoke of Himself as the servant of Jehovah. And how much more do you and I need the Spirit's power, His enablement, His endowment? The need today is the same as in apostolic times. Now, we will note a number of things from our text. First of all, the contrast. There is a sharp contrast drawn here between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit of God. This is a contrast between fullness and emptiness. The text speaks of the Christian's life being filled with the Spirit. There's fullness. The same cannot be said of alcohol. It does not fill. No matter how much is consumed, it gives no satisfaction. It leaves the heart thoroughly miserable and dejected, depressed. The Spirit of God has a satisfying influence on the life and the heart. The Lord, when He spoke of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian, He said this in John chapter 7 and verses 38 and 9. John chapter 7, verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, Out of his belly, our innermost being, shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. The Lord described the infilling of the Spirit in the life of one of his children, just it's like a river 
of living water. We think of how the Lord addressed the need of the woman of Samaria in John chapter 4 and verse 14, saying, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Salvation, it's like a well of water. Ore Torre commenting said, it is a great thing to have a well that you can carry with you, to have a well that is within you, to have a source of satisfaction not in the things outside of yourself, but in a well within that is always within and that is always springing up in freshness and power. Oh, the Christian, the Christian's experience is like the tribe of Naphtali. Oh, Naphtali, satisfied with fever and full of the blessing of the Lord. There is a contrast here also between lawlessness and peaceableness. The word excess, it means lawlessness, riot. Do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, lawlessness, riot. Oh, there are numerous, numerous illustrations of the lawlessness, the madness that alcohol inflames the heart of its victim with. Proverbs chapter 23 and verses 29 and 30 bring before us these words, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is peace. The Lord will keep the mind that is stayed on Him in perfect peace. The Lord has said, My peace I give unto you, not as the world give, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Contrast between fullness and emptiness, lawlessness and peaceableness. There's a contrast between foolishness and watchfulness. Proverbs 20 and verse 1, we discover that wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise, or in other words, is a fool. A person under the influence of alcohol is so out of it. He's staggering all over the place. 
a danger to himself, and if behind the wheel, a danger to the lives of many. But the person under the influence of the Spirit of God will be watching his steps, carefully picking his steps. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, it speaks about walking circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The person under the influence of the Spirit of God picks his steps carefully, walks before God unto all pleasing. There's a contrast, furthermore, between wastefulness and thriftiness. What a time-waster consuming alcohol is. And when it fastens its grip on the person, it takes control. We have read Proverbs 23 and verse 30 of someone tarrying long at the wine. It has taken control. The skilled tradesman who has so much to contribute to society, under the influence of alcohol, his time and his talents are wasted. Discipline has gone. The ability to keep employment has gone. Precious time and talents are being wasted. Those filled with the Spirit of God, they redeem. They buy back time. Verse 16, redeeming the time. Even the fragments of time are bought back. They are used up. The prayer of the Spirit-filled heart is, what wilt thou have me to do, Lord? Oh, the contrast is striking in all of these ways. Drunkenness, wine-sipping, is not for the child of God. Here's the will, the purpose of God, that we be filled with the Spirit, that we know the Spirit's influence and power daily. But we not only see the contrast here, we see the command, be filled. What we're reading in our text is not an option. It is a divine command. Here is a must for every child of God. Here is a command to be obeyed. And we find that it was a common thing in, in the New Testament church to hear of men filled with the Holy Spirit. We read not just a few exceptional cases of those especially gifted. No, all were filled with the Spirit. We will turn to Acts chapter 2, and if you have a marker, put a marker in at this portion, for we will be coming back during the course of the message. Acts chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. We are in the upper room 
All the disciples are gathered together, Acts 2, verse 3, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, other languages, other dialects, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So all of these disciples in the upper room, they know, they knew the experience of the infilling of the Spirit. Again, consider Acts chapter 4 and the verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the Word of God with boldness. Why is the command given? Why is it, is it an imperative that we know the power of the Spirit of God today? It is so necessary for us to have this infilling so that we live to the Lord's glory. We require power to serve the Lord, to see His kingdom extended in the hearts of others. Zerubbabel, when he came to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, this message came to him in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might. The thought in the word might is army. Not by an army of men. Not by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Earthly kingdoms, they maintain their security and, 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 and well-being by armies. But the kingdom of which there is no end, it does not depend on human might for its advancement. It depends on the Lord, on the power of the Spirit. Peter he took up the sword ill-advisedly. He took up a human weapon, a sword, in Matthew chapter 26 and verses 51 and 2. He aspired to stand in defense of Christ, to stand in between Christ and the cross, and in Matthew 26 and verse 51, we read of Peter that he stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then Jesus said unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For Peter did what he ought not to have done. He took a human sword, 
thinking to advance the things of God by that means. Oh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. And without the Lord severed from Him, we can do nothing. In Christ, endued by His Spirit, we can do all things. Spiritual work can only be done by spiritual power. That brings us, thirdly, to the condition of this infilling. If we would know the infilling of the Spirit, our lives must be set apart from known sin. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21, Paul refers to the vessel unto honor. 2 Timothy 2 verse 21, If a man purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Here is a vessel that is purified, that is purged. We are not like Solomon's temple. The cedar wood was overlaid with pure gold. That is, gold without dross. As for you and I in this temple of clay, there will always be dross in us. We're a bit like Nebuchadnezzar's image in Daniel 2. We have feet of clay, and so there must be that daily purging, striving against sin, yearning for clean hands and a pure heart. The Spirit of God is holy. Therefore, He infills pure vessels, vessels that are purified. Another condition is that we be sensible of our need. The Laodicean spirit is very prevalent. Many think that they are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. We must not have that kind of spirit. The rivers of water that we read off in John chapter 7, they are given to the thirsty, to those that are sensible of their need. We think of Acts chapter 1, how the Lord brought the disciples together, are the apostles. The verse 4 of Acts 1, he, he, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. In verse 8, but ye shall receive power, after that, the Holy Ghost is come 
upon you. What is happening here? The apostles, they are being made sensible of their need of the Spirit's power, the promise of the Father. That promise was given in Luke chapter 24 and verse 40, verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Oh, listen, this command in our text would not be there if it was not our great need. So, our lives must be set apart and be sensible of our need. There must be submissiveness. When D.L. Moody was just a young man, he heard a preacher say, the world has yet to see what God can do through a man that is fully yielded to him. And Mr. Moody vowed to be that man. Years later, when D.L. Moody was at the height of his evangelistic labors, a group of preachers in Philadelphia they met to plan a citywide gospel crusade. And many in that meeting were in favor of inviting Moody as the evangelist. Those of a different view, they spoke out saying, to hear you talk, you would think that Moody has a monopoly on the Holy Ghost. And the other group said, no, we do not believe that, but we believe that the Holy Ghost has a monopoly on D. L. Moody. Oh, when these conditions are met, then our souls may be as Gideon's fleece, wet, wet with the dew of heaven, knowing the Spirit's power. And then there is the continuance in our text. The tense of the verb to be filled is striking. It's in the present continuous tense. So the command is to keep on being filled. This is a day-by-day -day experience. It is not a once-for-all experience, but continual and to be continued. Those that we read off in Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, they were present in Acts chapter 2. But once more, they were empowered, ready to face the world and the devil and to go out preaching Christ. The infilling was repeated. It was renewed. It was continual. A young lad began his apprenticeship with a well-known engineering firm. He was placed in charge of a large machine which had to be oiled every morning. 
But one day he forgot to do the oiling job, and soon that large machine seized. The boss was quickly on the scene, reprimanding him. He said, always remember, young man, that this machine, it cannot run on day-old oil. It must have fresh oil every morning. And we must have the fresh oil of the Spirit's power every morning. In Psalm 92 and verse 10, the psalmist said, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. The infilling of the Spirit, this is continual. But then, as we close, we think of the consequences of being filled with the Spirit. The marks of the Spirit-filled life will be evident. The Holy Spirit is not a dumb spirit. He sets His people singing. Don't we see that in verse 19? speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing is a central part of worship. One of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. We have all joy and peace through believing. Way back in 1859, a great revival was known in America and also at the same time in Ulster, where I come from. And those converts of the revival, they burst into song. They sang going to and from the meetings, in their homes, along the roads and lanes. The Lord had put a new song in their mouths. They sang psalms like the 23rd, the 40th, the 116th psalm. They sang hymns. There is a fountain filled with blood. Will ye, will ye go to the Eden above, the rock of ages, just as I am, and without one plea? Oh, we should never be without our hymn books, May we be singing the Lord's praises. The Spirit-filled life, this will be one of the consequences, singing. Another consequence will be supplication. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of grace and of supplication. Jude verse 20, it has a reference to Christians praying in the Holy Ghost. The Spirit's infilling was accompanied by prayer in the lives of the apostles. There was a united crying to God that touched the throne. We'll go back to Acts chapter 4, just once again, verses 23 and 4. And being let go, they went to their own company, Peter and John, 
and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Here's their prayer. Lord, Thou art God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. What clear views they had of God. He's the Almighty. He's the great Creator. He alone is God. The Spirit-filled Christian is a praying believer. Oh, we need to know God, His power, His blessing, more than our tongues can tell. And then another consequence will be service. This prayer in Acts 4 was answered in the words of verse 31. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. They were filled with the Spirit for service. They preached the word. Christ was central in their preaching. Verse 33, with great power, give the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They preached Calvary and the empty tomb. The Spirit of God doesn't speak of Himself. He testifies of Christ. And that's how these men preached the Word, setting forth Christ. Great grace was upon them, great likeness to the Lord. Others could see Christ in them. Oh, may we pray, pray through the promise of Luke 11 and the verse 13. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? May it not be true of us, ye have not, because ye ask not. May we every day of our lives seek this infilling spoken of in our text. And in this fullness, there is no excess, no riot, no lawlessness, nothing but usefulness and that glorifying of the triune God. But we read somber words in Romans chapter 8 and the verse 9, where Paul says, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. What solemn words those are! If we do not have the Spirit dwelling in our hearts, 
we are none of His. How alarming. In this world where we do not know what our next step will bring, we do not know what a day will bring forth. How alarming if someone in this service today should be none of Christ, not his child. Without the Lord, there is no hope. There's no righteousness. There's no access to God. For the Lord has said ever so plainly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Without him there is no salvation. The Lord Jesus said, I am the door. By me if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The Lord has a flock, but you're not one of his lambs, not one of his sheep. The Lord has a family, but you're not one of his children. The text does not close the door of hope. It doesn't say, you shall be none of his. It says, you are none of his at this moment, but you can become one of his. When Pharaoh saw the starving multitude, he heard them crying for bread, and he directed them to Joseph. And where does the gospel direct you today for your soul's salvation? It doesn't direct you to this preacher. It doesn't direct you to this denomination. It directs you to Christ. The Lord Jesus said in John 10 and verse 10, I am come that ye might have life and that ye might have it more abundantly. Oh, come away from the world's side, from this vain, empty world. Come to the path of life. Come to Christ and experience the new birth, experience so great salvation. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Oh, may you make the Lord your final choice. Then all heaven will rejoice be in times too late in eternity to get right with God. May you seek the Lord and come as you are to the one who has said, Him that cometh, I will in no wise cast out. May the Lord bless his word to each of our hearts. The hymn number 547, please. The hymn number 547.
Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Our gracious, loving Father, we do thank Thee for the instruction and the edification of Thy precious Word, and we pray, Lord, that Thou wilt enable us every day of our lives to know the fresh oil of the Spirit of God. We do realize that we are at best unprofitable servants and severed from Thee, we can do nothing, just as the branch of the vine cannot bear fruit when it's severed from the vine. So, Lord, how useless we are without Thee. Oh, we pray to be useful in Thy service, to be usable, to know the anointing and enabling grace and power of the Spirit, and to make much of Christ. And we pray, O God, as in Acts chapter 1 and 2, the acts of the Holy Spirit were seen. Renew our days as of old. O Lord, look toward us again, we pray, and revive thy church 
in every part. Thou truly art the potter, we are the clay. O make us vessels unto honor, meet for the Master's use, bringing glory to Thy great name. And we pray, our Father, for those who have to acknowledge that they are none of Thine. O Lord, draw them, draw them irresistibly to Thyself, and may others experience sins forgiven, peace with God through the blood shed so freely on Calvary. Part us with Thy blessing, and in Thy fear we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.